Welcome to the Primate Cast. I'm your host, Chris Martin. And I'm Andrew McIntosh. And today we're going to talk to Janet Nakoni. Yeah, so we're going to talk to Janet about GIS, geospatial mapping, and her conservation-oriented work in Africa. So Janet's a research assistant professor in the Department of Geographical Sciences at the University of Maryland, where she received her PhD last year. And she's been working for quite a number of years now in Democratic Republic of the Congo. Mm-hmm. And so she was invited in November of 2012 to the primate research here at Kyoto University as part of a, a Asia-Africa platform workshop held by Dr. Takeshi Furuichi here. Right, and she came because she's an expert at computer software dealing with mapping. That's right. So she's been involved in that project. She'll talk about it later in the interview, um, specifically in terms of habitat suitability modeling for bonobo populations and other ape populations, as well as kind of fostering the development of land, land use planning and conservation programs involving local people in Africa as well. Yeah, and it was nice to have her here at the PRI and also the other members of the workshop that she taught That's right. from Africa. Yeah, so she was here imparting her knowledge in, in GIS mm-hmm. and spatial modeling. And part of the, I guess, a couple of the participants were people you knew from Africa as well. Yeah, so some of the guides from Basu, which is the field site that I've been to and visited uh, in West Africa with chimpanzees, uh, a couple of the guides from Basu came to Japan. So it was really interesting, you know, when I go there, they kind of introduce me to the village and the culture, and so I was kind of able to show them around here, which was really cool. Yeah, it would be a nice kind of a reciprocating relationship yeah, right. here for a change. Yeah, to Denny's. <laughs> to Denny's. The very uh, traditional Japanese restaurant. Yeah, right, the American <laughs> Japanese restaurant. <laughs> okay, so, so anyway, here's Janet talking about how she first got involved with Dr. Furuichi. Ah, I met uh, Dr. Uh, Furuichi in the field, actually. Uh, back in 2009 when I was in my field site um, in Northern Democratic Republic of the Congo. I was working on uh, some participatory mapping methods with um, local communities for a land use planning initiative. And uh, we started talking because um, Dr. Ferrici was on his way to his field site where he studies bonobos. It's located about three hours by motorbike south of where I was staying. in the forest, in the rainforest. And uh, I told him how much I enjoyed Japan because I had visited Japan in the past. And um, he, he and I uh, formed a friendship and we started to um, collaborate on bonobo mapping um, <coughs> projects. So in the end, I was able to come out um, to a meeting in the Democratic Republic of the Congo in Kinshasa to meet with uh, different bonobo researchers. And um, together with Max Planck Institute, we uh, collected all of the bonobo observation data that have been collected across the bonobo range since 2002. And we were able to put that into a geographic database and start a process of creating a spatial model to map the habitat suitability of the bonobo across the range. Can you talk a little bit about that? So what exactly is a habitat suitability analysis? So um, habitat suitability mapping, also called um, species distribution um, modeling, basically you're looking at a presence or sometimes also absence of a particular species. The biologist walks a transect line in the forest and makes observations about 
either direct or indirect observations of the particular species of interest, in this case a bonobo. And with that um, data, <coughs> we assign, well, the data are assigned geographic coordinates using a global positioning system, a GPS unit. And we're able to take that data of knowing where the bonobos have been spotted or observed in the field and in the GIS, the Geographic Information System, we can then start comparing the locations of those observations to the surrounding environmental conditions that promote the um, occurrence of that species in that particular location. And once we um, analyze the statistical relationship, we can then extrapolate a model to um, create a suitability map of where that species might be able to be found in other parts of the range that might not have yet been surveyed. Well, what's kind of the end goal of that project that you're working on? Yeah, so um, now that all of those uh, bonobo researchers have come together, we've now taken the analysis that we did together in the workshop and uh, are developing a uh, paper for peer review. There are about 45 different co-authors on the paper um, and these are all different bonobo researchers from different parts of the range who have um, donated their data to the effort. As well as trackers on the ground. And we're including trackers on the ground so too. So what was that we... like to get everybody's involvement, especially putting a paper together is a lot of work, so yes. you need everybody's okay by the end of it. You do need everybody's okay. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of them don't speak much English or read much English, so we actually were able to work with Max Planck Institute and get a uh, translation provided for those francophone authors so that they could read and understand what was happening in the paper and agree to its publication. Well, Janet, congratulations on putting all that together. Now, if I remember correctly, you've also worked with other African wildlife, haven't you? I started working actually um, on forest elephants, and that was my master's thesis at the University of Maryland. And I worked with um, a researcher at um, who used to be at the Wildlife Conservation Society, Steve Blake, and he actually had put radio GPS radio collars on about 36 different forest elephants all throughout the Congo Basin. And I was able to use that telemetry data to develop a similar type of model predicting the relative suitability for forest elephant habitat across the whole Congo Basin. That was my, my master's work. Does it paint a similar picture to that the results from the Bonobo studies? You know, it was actually um, much more um, coarse scale, and it was for a much bigger area. It was for the whole Congo Basin, whereas this model for the Bonobo is just um, for a small area in northern DRC. So I actually haven't compared them. The two models actually create different outputs. Uh, so I'm not sure how compar comparable they actually will be, but that would be interesting. Are there plans to make this kind of data publicly available? For example, like on Google Earth or something like that, so people can actually go on the internet and see where all the bonobos are? Actually, the Max Planck Institute uh, maintains a database called the APES database that um, hosts all of a variety of observation data and spatial data related to all of the great apes across the globe. And so our plans are to make this model available um, for download on the APES database 
And all of the observation data that were used as an input to the model are also available um, to, in, from the database also from Max Planck Institute. Okay, so on the one hand, you're heavily involved in these pro programs like habitat suitability mapping for, uh, you know, for various African wildlife species. But then on the other side, you're also working closely with the human, local human populations and uh, developing things like participatory mapping programs. So can you talk a little bit about that? The work that we're doing with the African Wildlife Foundation, we were recognized by the DRC government in 2009 as a pilot model for national level land use planning okay. in the country. So they have now recognized the need for land use plans. And so the participatory mapping is working with those local communities to secure land management rights. Oh, okay. Um, so that they can be formally recognized by the government of the DRC. It sounds like just from the name of it, though, that you're letting them kind of do the mapping. We are. It's participatory mapping. So they kind of collect the data for you and then you're the one that facilitates it and puts it in the database and does the analysis. Exactly. We ask them to um, to draw, basically to, um, to translate their own local knowledge of mm -hmm. their own geography of where right. they live onto a sheet of paper. Sometimes they begin drawing in the dirt or in the oh, sand. Wow. But eventually, <clears throat> the map is transferred to a very large format piece of paper. And the map, you know, we guide them through the process because the villagers have never really seen a map or done mapping in the past. So we have to guide them through the process and ask them for, um, you know, prompt them for drawing what they what they see in the how, how they define their village, the features that define mm. their village geographically. So we ask them, for example, to draw the road that their village is located on, and we ask for the geographic um, direction of that road, whether it's north, south, east, or west. And then usually we ask them next to place the location of the chief's house on the map, and that sort of helps them to understand the relationship of all of the other features in relationship to the... the it sounds kind of like a cognitive experiment. It is a cognitive reason experiment about spatial in, a, relations. in a lot of ways, yeah. yeah. And then we ask them questions about, um, well, maybe where is your community farm? Uh, where is your cemetery? Okay. And from there, and we also ask about locations of major rivers and locations of features that we might be able to see on a satellite image. So those are rivers, maybe hills, um, any kind of feature, topo topographical feature. And so then as a team, we transcribe um, all of that local knowledge that's been um, conveyed on paper to a satellite image. And we do that in the presence of the um, villagers. Actually, we have them do it. Oh, cool. So first, what we have to do is explain what they are seeing in the satellite image and explain the, um, how the satellite image is captured because they have never really thought about um, a satellite in the sky taking pictures of the Earth before. And with these satellite images, you see it a lot of different colors due to the, um, the wave bands. And so we explain what they are seeing in the colors. And often um, you can see the locations of the agricultural fields um, they're very easy to distinguish because the spectral response of the uh, bare ground is very different from the spectral response of the vegetative forest. So we can st start seeing the um, boundaries 
between the forest and the agricultural areas. And the goal of the mapping is actually for them to start delineating the boundary of where they historically do their agricultural activities, which we cannot understand from just looking at a satellite image. So their local knowledge is really key in, um, in actually formulating, formulating those boundaries and delineating them. And once those boundaries are, are, formalized, are delineated, we are working with the government of the Democratic Republic of the Congo to formalize those boundaries and to allow those people to now have land management rights um, of those, those lands. So one of the things that really struck me earlier on in this uh, Africa-Asia platform symposium that uh, Dr. Florici has jointly set up was during a presentation by Jeff Dupont from the African Wildlife mm-hmm. Foundation. And he was talking about this probably, or in relation to this, how rather than trying to force conservation of, of areas on like a really, really broad scale to exclude people from their local areas, it was more like determine areas that could potentially be protected completely versus areas that the people are using and can sustainably use versus areas that can be accessed by anybody. So that was a really, it was an interesting um, perspective, I think, one that's maybe often overlooked because it's not that we need to exclude people completely. So maybe yes. this is very relevant to that. I would say that this whole project that I've been involved with, with the African Wildlife Foundation in this particular landscape, the Marengulapuri Mamba landscape, uh, the real premise has been that we cannot achieve conservation without working lo- with those local communities <coughs> and directly trying to improve their livelihoods. And so the land use planning that we're doing in this landscape um, is really, it, first of all, it's a participative prob- process. So we are involving all of the local communities and all of the stakeholders in the landscape And we also um, are doing what is called a quid pro quo kind of process. And that means, you know, you give something and in exchange you receive something else in exchange. So with these communities that we're doing the participatory mapping with, we actually have agreements. Um, The purpose of the zoning, um, creating these boundaries between the agriculture and the forest areas, is so that the... um, it's really to decrease deforestation in the primary forest. In Central Africa and in in the DRC in particular, um, human communities live around the roads and they farm outwards away from the roads. And using satellite imagery, we're able to monitor the expansion of agriculture and slash and burn activity. And we can see that it's going farther and farther away from the roads and encroaching into the primary forest. From a conservation standpoint, it's concerning to be losing primary forest, but also from a a human livelihood standpoint, it means that the farmers and the local villagers are walking farther and farther to access their farms than they were in the past. So what we're doing is we've teamed up with um, the um, uh, International Center for Agroforestry and um, Tropical Agriculture, SEAT, and we are um, helping those communities to produce, to increase their agricultural production within the defined agricultural zone. Um, and in exchange, they agree to, to not 
um, expand their agriculture into the further into the primary forest. So we are assisting with soil fertility and helping with their crop rotation patterns um, and bringing in seeds for agroforestry. And then the participatory mapping, we're not only defining the agricultural zones, but we're also defining the um, areas where people historically collect their non-timber forest products. So we're actually um, formalizing land rights for agricultural development, but also for uh, community forests. Oh, so for like medicine and yeah, mushrooms Yeah, for fuel wood and bushmeat uh, hunting yeah. and okay. mushrooms and fruits that they get from the Interesting. So is there any kind of overlap between these two? It sounds like they're very distinctive projects, the Bonomo database and the human land use management, but they're also happening in the same kind of country. So mm -hmm. is there any kind of overlap for you between these different projects? From a conservation standpoint, you can better know how, like how the bonobos are distributed and use that for your land use plans or anything like that? Yeah, so um, one, one role that I have in this project with the African Wildlife Foundation is to use spatial modeling and spatial data to assist them in prioritization, prioritization of conservation areas within the landscape. So I help them to identify where protected areas should be, for example and also to look at where community forests might be um, important for local communities, and also identifying perhaps where um, key wildlife corridors might be uh, located between the protected areas and the, the um, intact forest areas. So, you know, the, the work that I do with the bonobos links into that very well because um, with this whole consortium of bonobo researchers coming together for this um, bonobo model that we've been leading, um, it's really important data and information um, because our um, the landscape that I'm working in is actually about 20% of the bonobo range in the north. So we can use all of that data as um, input into um, more refined models for the landscape to understand which areas are most important for bonobo habitat, and then to you know, do more on-the-ground activities with local communities in those areas. So uh, getting back to the symposium a little bit, it sounds like a lot of what you do is, in addition to the research and the GIS work, it's educational and facilitative for local people. Um, here, one of your main roles at the symposium is to lead these workshops in GIS modeling and teaching this the software basically and the system and the ideology behind it can you talk a little bit about that I mean is yeah. this yeah so capacity building has also been a really uh, big part of my work at the University of Maryland my research group um, actually um, we are funded by uh, US Agency for International Development USAID um, in a um, program called CARPE, the Central African Regional Program for the Environment. And one of our biggest parts um, of CARPE, besides forest monitoring and using satellite imagery to analyze forest change in the Congo Basin, is also capacity building um, for spatial tools and for forest monitoring in the region. And since about 2002, we have been um, working very closely with a group that's coming out of the University of Kinshasa of um, younger uh, 
geography students who are you know really wanting to learn GIS and remote sensing and, and do these use these tools and since 2002 we've been um, sort of providing oversight to their group and creating um, a laboratory called OSFAC which is an acronym in French um, for for their um, their group but they've become now the focal point of GIS and spatial data um, acquisition, satellite imagery distribution for um, Central African projects uh, located in the Congo Basin countries. How important is it getting, I mean, imparting the knowledge and having it done locally? Very important. Um, you know, I can lend my assistance to all of these projects, but I live in the United States and I don't speak the local language. My French is just intermediate level or less. So really, the, the people who live in the DRC are the ones who really need to be doing this kind of work and they need the tools in order to solve the problems that are happening in their country. Well, Janet, thanks for joining us here on the Primate yeah, thanks Cast. A lot. Thanks a lot, it was really fun. You have been listening to the Primate Cast, a podcast series dedicated to the study and conservation of primates around the world. Brought to you by the Centre for International Collaboration and Advanced Studies in Primatology of the Primate Research Institute of Kyoto University. Visit us online at www.cicasp.pri.kyoto-u.ac.jp forward slash news forward slash podcasts and follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash the primatecast and on Twitter at The Primate Cast.